What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to The Splash by Next Wave, a deep dive into the changing state of cinema in the 21st century. The Splash is a podcast addressing the future of the film industry. Are we on our way to a future where cinema no longer exists? Or can we imagine our way to a brighter future where it will not only survive, but thrive? Tune in for insightful discussions with professionals from all parts of the industry who will share their perspectives and thoughts on what is to come. The Splash is hosted by Nextwave, a creative incubator based in Berlin and focused on radically rethinking the exploitation chain. Cinemas worldwide are currently fighting for their existence due to the new coronavirus outbreak. In this episode, we talk with Ivo Andre, who has, since 1999, co-managed Aero Kino, a cult movie theater in Prague in the Czech Republic. He's also the co-founder and CEO of Aero Films, a leading art house distribution company in the Czech territory. Ivo also has a very special approach when it comes to new ways of reaching audiences. So Anna Huff and Lisa Plumeyer met him during the Berlin Alley to find out more about his innovative strategies and the daily challenges exhibitors face, even before the health crisis forced theaters to close down. I am Anna Hood, and my name is Lisa Plumeyer. Ivo Andra, an art house distributor, he's working for cinemas and connected to many different numbers. Five cinemas, nine screens, five bars, five galleries, one film shop, 100,000 film posters, one VOD service, one distribution company, one restaurant, and 40-plus full-time employees. You're a man of many talents. Can you tell us how Aerofilm started and how far you've come with your company service? Sure. I mean, this sounds like uh, it's me bringing all these numbers, but of course it's a teamwork, I should say, the first. So, uh, you know, I'm just a humble person, so I shouldn't take all the credit for what you just said. Aero started uh, from the cinema business. We were originally running an independent cinema in Prague named Aero, which we took over back in 1998. It became very quickly popular because one side we didn't know how to run a cinema, but we knew how to run a bar, which we did before. So we built a bar in the cinema and then we started combining it with films and it quickly appeared that this is kind of entertainment that was missing in Prague at the time. Yeah, so we dig into it and we uh, kind of develop it and we realize that this is what we like because the reason to open the cinema was because we were film lovers, basically. We just didn't know how to operate it. We realized that now we can do what we like for money, so we started working on that. Then it step-by-step became all the other activities that you mentioned at the beginning. We've met before and we know from this meeting that you do a lot of work with audience development. 
Did this happen from the start or what was the idea behind it? Did it develop during the process? You know, in general, when you run a cinema the way we believe should be run, it's a non-stop audience development work. So uh, in general, I should say yes, uh, from the beginning we were looking for the audience and trying to develop it. As time passed, we developed some more sophisticated tool that really focused on the more narrow definition of uh, what uh, audience development could mean. And we start working on various projects. Usually we work with uh, people that are uh, interested in cinema going above average. Some of them would be semi-professional, some of them would be just like hardcore cinema goers. And those people appear to be very much interested in learning what's happening in the kitchen, what's happening behind the curtain Mm -hmm. in your cinema, in your distribution company. They love to participate on sessions where they can learn about this, explore it. On the other side, when we invite them, for example, to participate in the process of selection movie that we want to buy, they really appreciate it. And they also are usually very creative people. They are able to look at things from outside of our own box. We are many times uh, working in the same uh, film industry. Uh, You get blind, you know, internally, so you don't see things anymore. It's always very fresh to have these outside people interested in what you do and ask them questions because they can tell you that what you see is red, uh, they see it blue and, you know, completely change your perspective and it's always fun. So, yes, we have uh, work on this kind of communication with uh, people that are they love to surround us for a couple of years and it's a lot of fun and a lot of things to learn from that group. Yeah, Yeah, I believe in that. Um, but you also... You have different or diverse programming to mm-hmm. um, involve different generations. Could you go a bit more deeper in that, how you selected the different programming for um, different audiences and different age groups? Yeah, yeah. I think what every cinema is trying to do, find as many slots that they can use as possible because you're paying the rent and it pays also for the night and for the morning when you are not showing any films. So why don't try to develop something in those times? Obviously, we are not the only one that uh, like to focus on various age group and target them directly with whatever they like. We do have special programming for uh, senior citizens. We learned that their favorite time would be either before lunch or after lunch, but definitely before it gets dark. We develop special slots in our cinemas for those. This group also, we find out, this is the only group that opposed uh, cancellation of any printed materials in our cinemas. They love to have program of uh, the cinema on the fridge. And they also need the program with a lot of time in advance because they tend to plan much more their lives than the typical cinema goers of like 25, 40 years old. When we cancelled all the prints and went online with the programmings, the special senior slots we kept and they are the only program we still print. I think we made a lot of people happy by uh, keeping that. Well, then there is slots for the other side of the time groups, which would be, you know, very, very young kids. We start not even with the kids. We start basically when they are born because we target mothers or fathers, basically parents of very, very small children. Let's say it's active people that like to go out all the time, uh, sometimes to the cinema. And with kids, it's much more difficult. And we don't want to lose track with them because we believe that sooner or later the kids will grow and they will return to the cinemas. The parents will return to the cinemas. So, yeah, we developed this program. It's showing film for uh, adults in the morning, 
and the adults are welcome to bring the babies, let's say age below three years old. It's okay for everybody that they know it's not going to be 100% focus on the screening, that the, it's not completely dark in the room, the sound is not 100% on, and everybody uh, respects that there is a, you know, a lot of breastfeeding and other things uh, happening during the screening. Yeah, a lot of people having kids, a lot of people uh, don't want to lose track with what's going on in cinemas. They want to watch the films. This is another example, I guess. Yeah, your audience grows up with the cinema. That's... Yeah, in a way, the presentation I showed here was about the life of ideal person from our perspective, <laughs> which is born in cinema and dies in the cinema, basically never leaves. But it changes in its aspiration or in its uh, taste. It matures. Within that one cinema, you can't just show, basically, for the whole life, you can't just show one film. You have to be ready that there is different tastes and different kind of communication, kind of marketing for every age group, I would say. So you have to change too, <laughs> as a cinema. We've heard that you're very proud of your poster collection. The number that we researched was 100,000. How correct is the number that we have and how comes that you came to collect so many? Yes, we are very, very proud of that. We believe that maybe the most precious thing that we have is within this collection, but who knows? <laughs> it's a big mystery. We never know. The thing is that one of my colleagues who got really tired with uh, running the cinemas is a person that likes to do things with a lot of obsession in it, whatever it is, bicycling, loving women, collecting things. He started focusing on cinema posters about 10 years ago. And I should say, for those that don't know, uh, the Czech film posters and Polish film posters from the 60s and from the 70s are very well-known uh, collective item. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of collectors around the world that collect them. The thing is that in the 60s and 70s, during the communism, many of the designers and creative minds were not allowed to do any type of free work or exhibit or, you know, publish. Uh, they were basically restricted, a lot of them, uh, except for the film industry. For some reason, within the film industry, they found people that let them do the work, but they would do it their way. So there is a lot of creativity in the posters from the 60s, 70s, because the best artists of those days, the only free work they could do was on film posters. And they are special because in many cases, they couldn't see the film before they made the posters, for example. They were just told... You know, it's a movie about man who steals car and, you know, <laughs> drives around America and then he falls in love. And that was it. It was really a lot of free work and it's very cool thing. One of my favorite things to do to basically compare those posters for famous American or European movies from those days to the official posters. Also to posters that we know today that are full of credits and a lot of texts on it. Back in the 60s, 70s, the posters were just the posters. The name of the film, the name of the director, maybe maybe the tagline, and that was it. You know, Not every driver that was on the set had to be on the poster. You can tell they were a bit prettier at the time. This is the core of the collection, and uh, the obsession of my colleague led to these numbers. He's over 100,000 posters now. He made more than 100 exhibitions. We, we exhibited posters uh, pretty much around the world. We had exhibition in the Museum of Modern Arts in Japan and other places. Japanese people were very much interested in what Czech film posters of their big films from the 60s and 70s look like. There is a lot of publications and other stuff. Yeah. And you have a shop where you 
Uh, yes. Of it, yes. Right? There is a in one of our cinemas. There is a shop where you can buy the posters. But what you actually can buy in the poster shop is only that's for sale, because uh, I would say the good part of the collection is basically not for sale. Yes. It's it's a collection. So the whole thing is called Terry Socks Film Collection or Terry Socks Shop. Terry is for Terry Gilliam, who is the godfather of the shop, and uh, Sock is because he came. To the opening unprepared as a godfather he didn't bring any present <laughs> so on the very last minute he pulled off his sock from his <laughs> leg and he gave the shop the sock the sock is still there it's vanishing Great. slowly <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's been washed carefully he gave basically the name to the collection and everything yeah it was fun you started out with the movie theaters. You actually have three top art house cinemas in Prague. And then you moved to distribution. What are your thoughts about this combination of roles of exhibitor and distributor? It's a good question because for me it's very hard to divide those two inside of me. Many times I see my, myself thinking as an exhibitor in place of a distributor and the other way around. I used to have problems with this. I think it was a natural step for us. Always our cinemas were looking for special content, for films that are not distributed locally, but they heard about it and the people that come to the cinema were asking about them. So we had a lot of experiences before we started really doing the distribution. We had a lot of experiences and contacts from acquiring films from one-off screenings or for special showings. It was just a natural step, I, th I guess, to go ahead and make distribution contacts. For example, there is a movie, The Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. You heard about it last year. Just to give you an example of how it's hard to distinguish between distribution and cinema in our case, The Lighthouse was not to be released in the Czech Republic. It was a studio movie, and they decided it's too small to release it theatrically. But I found out that the same studio in our neighboring countries Hungary, Poland, they are doing special showings of the film in selected cinemas. So I, I, I asked the Czech office and they said, no, 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 we are not about to do this. But since there was such a demand for the film from our fans, like daily emails, hey, how come you're not showing Lighthouse? Yeah, yeah. Because the American distributor A24 is doing such a great job online that many people mm -hmm. follows them around the world and wants to see their films. We came back to the studio office then and we said, look, it's, I, we, we feel there is a demand, we should do something. I asked our cinemas, look, there is no space for us as a distributor, but you as cinemas should maybe talk to them and find some kind of you know, deal, submit to a certain amount of screenings or whatever. And I remember the reply from our cinemas was, well, Lighthouse, maybe we can do one screening, maybe we can do two special screenings, I don't know how many people, it's a special movie. So with this in mind, we went back to the studio and they said, you can do it, but you have to pay for the translation and everything, and it's mm -hmm. costly because it has to be done through the studio system. Blah, blah, blah. I go back to the cinemas and I ask them, look, but there is, you have to invest. Anyway, they took the risk, announced very late, before Christmas, or around Christmas, that there will be January screenings. Boom, sold out in two hours, all of them. They start adding new, 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 and they finished with like 10,000 admissions just in wow. the cinemas. Uh, saying this means within the company it's opportunity and whatever it is if it's the cinema that needs to take this opportunity or it's for a distributor to follow this opportunity sometimes I have problem to realize that so I was talking to this studio for a long time before I realized that I'm talking to them from position of distributor while this is a studio cinema kind of deal because they are already distributed I don't know if it came with the story but this was my feeling through the halfway 
to the agreement with the studio, I realized there is no room for distribution. Why am I involved, actually? The cinema should do it, right? Anyway, I don't know if that's answering your question. It yeah. is, it is, because this whole connection of distribution and exhibition is not that natural, but maybe this is the new way. Maybe this is how the art house film can reach more audience mm. by joining these two roles. Mm. Maybe. The truth is that we are very lucky to have the cinemas, obviously. Not because they would have to screen anything we acquire as a distributor, but because we are in very, very close communication on, basically on a daily basis. We understand what they're looking for. We understand what their audience is looking for. So when we are here at the market, Berlinale, we kind of tend to know what we are looking for. I'm not going to buy movies that wouldn't be... Uh, shown in those cinemas. It's always core, always the base of the audience we work with. Trying to imagine I don't have that makes me feel a little bit more nervous about buying films, you know what I mean? Like first buy and then ask some strangers about programming it in their cinemas. That must be not so much fun. So I guess the connection between those two businesses is important, especially in the independent market, because when you have studio blockbusters, you work with different type of cinemas mostly mm. that work on different kind of bases and it's a spreadsheet talking rather than risk taking or extra marketing and activities. Mm. You, you also have a connected VOD service where you distribute mm -hmm. the films that you own more or less for your, for mm. your territory. Yeah. How did it work yeah. and how does it work now with the audience? Yes, we do. It's called AeroVOD, AeroVOD which is funny, but only in Czech. It works great. It's not only for films that we uh, distribute. It's also any other distributor's work uh, that we like to put online. We make the selection, basically. What we are doing uh, offline with the cinemas, that we work uh, for some people as a brand, as selectors of certain type of films that they want to see, we try to make the same thing online. So we don't put, you know, thousands of movies and we don't play this kind of game. We only select films that more or less would, we would like to screen in our cinemas, basically. It doesn't only come from our company, but we just like to have that brand copied, basically, uh, online. And yeah, we started quite early when VOD was picking up. We were looking for a chance to do something because there were only commercial VOD platforms in our territory that didn't want our films at all. We were trying to convince them to make a special part of their VOD services dedicated to art mm -hmm. films. It didn't work. But then at some point, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, some of the independent players start appearing, like, you know, Vimeo today, but this was even before Vimeo, I think. And one of them was called Distrify. And it was meant to be a self-distribution tool for filmmakers. And we liked this player and we realized we can build a whole service, our service around this player because it came without cost. You didn't have to buy the player. You just start using it and put more films into it and create a website around it and that was it. We did it and we are very grateful to Distrify. We could start with them because it was really very efficient way how to basically put your films online and get some income and let's see what's gonna happen. Unfortunately, later on, we wanted to develop that player a bit more and we wanted some features that other players had, which this one didn't have. At the moment, we are not on Distrify anymore. We had to switch to another one, but that's another story. Yeah, this is, uh, again, very uh, rapidly growing business for us. I can already start calling it a business. At the beginning, it was just, you know, a laboratory, how, to, how it's gonna work. Mm -hmm. But now it became very steady income and uh, we are very happy to do it. Also, 
we don't look at it as an exclusive place for these films. iRobot is one place you can find our films, but there is many others, including iTunes and all the others, that you can look for our films. We just learned that after we also introduced SVOD, you know, subscription to our service, then we learned that for many people it is just too tiring to look for films they like online. Like me, sometimes I turn Netflix on and I look for something, then I'm like, maybe this one, oh, let's look for something else, maybe there's something better. And I had, you know, find myself looking for something for half an hour and then it's too late to watch something. Yeah, so I don't know. A lot of people know that. So I guess for some people we are in place as a selector for them online because we don't have so many films, maybe 300 at the moment. We only add, let's say, two films every week. For a lot of people it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I don't want more films. I just want these guys to tell me, watch this, watch this or watch this. And, you know, I don't want to spend my time looking for quality. I want somebody else to do it for me. I think people paying subscription for us, partly they understand this is what they pay for the selecting service. We are very happy with, about it because I think this is what I started from. We are trying to copy what we do in the cinemas, that people trust in the cinema that it has a certain taste and they don't get disappointed when they come, when they believe it blindly even, when they just come for whatever film they show. So we try to copy it online and it works to some extent. I mean, we are talking about very small portion of the market, mm-hmm. but big enough to survive. And also I think very important part of the market. But now going with away from just mm-hmm. movies and film, you already said you had your colleague, you had to you had to escape from the cinema by collecting posters. Yeah. But you also put up a restaurant which is not related mm. to film at all, which is which is connected to your company, but maybe this is needed for for the industry, for the movie goers as well to to have a place where you can rest. I don't know. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, that's another colleague who got tired. He loves to organize events for other companies. He has a lot of experiences there. Even usually come with food and drinks it's always connected to us but you know it's another type of business it's not always happening in our cinemas etc so he finds special locations for for companies to organize whatever they want to celebrate since good part of us live in one neighborhood of Prague the idea was that we found this uh, place that was very ugly and we were not very happy about this corner of, of the street It was a place of, uh, you know, gambling machines and a non-stop bar and the bar had to close because the, the machines got restricted, basically. It was a very ugly spot. And since we lived there and we walk around it every day, it was this colleague idea that maybe we should take over the place now and clean it and do something with it, but not cinema. So we said, okay, let's make it a restaurant. Happily enough, we realized that It's maybe a smart move because when the cinema business, as everybody predicts, uh, goes to hell uh, with films, then maybe we can still have the bar <laughs> and work there. But you also said in one of the interviews that the biggest weapon and advantage of cinemas is the social experience. Yeah. And basically all these other additional activities of yours, they add up to the social experience that you add to the cinemas that there also are. I guess, yeah. I mean, the type of cinema we are talking about here is based on the fact that people like to meet and talk and uh, share moments. Without this part of people's brain or people's behavior or society's behavior, uh, cinemas would never exist. It wouldn't even start, I guess. 
and I think from the very beginning until today and for another hundred years this will be in the core of the cinema business I, I'm convinced that's also why uh, the TV didn't kill the business that's why the video recorders didn't kill it and that's why the fast internet is not killing the cinema business different kind of consumption of maybe the same content but different totally different experience there was research in the Czech Republic a couple of years ago. One of the questions was what would be the best uh, substitution for buying a cinema ticket and going to the cinema. And you might expect that number two would be uh, watching a movie at home, mm. but it was number five or maybe number four, I, I remember exactly. Because number two was if I don't go to cinema, I go for a trip. Or I go to a museum or an exhibition. Basically, you dress up and you leave outside the door of your apartment. And that's where you go out. This is what people think when they choose to go cinema. It's not always about, should we watch this film at home? It's already pirated. Maybe or online. Maybe we don't need to spend tickets for the cinema. Or should we go to the cinema? Usually, this is not how the question is involved. Usually, the question is, oh, let's go out. Yeah, what should we do? Let's go for a drink. No, let's watch a movie. This is the more usual conversation people have before going to cinema. So, first competitor to cinema business is not the platforms, legal or illegal, whatever. I guess it's the bars and the other entertainment business. So, thank you very much for taking time. Like thank you. Cool. cool. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. It was a very nice break from the hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. You can also check out our website, nextwavesplash.com, to find out more about us and about our guests each week. The Splash is produced and hosted by Anna Huff, Emma Caviezzo, Lorna Buzel, Shapa Das, Lisa Plumeyer, Magda Rodko, and myself, Lydia D'Amato. Keral Pons and Max Minkoff manage our website and social medias. Sound editing and mixing by Anna Huff and Moritz Geiser. Music by Apelis. See you next week. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit